The New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Today we talk with Marty O'Halloran, who is uh, currently, or until recently, head of DDB Australia and New Zealand, but has recently been appointed CEO of DDB Global, which is a great achievement for somebody down here, especially with such a respected giant of the industry as DDB. Now, I worked with Marty for five years at uh, DDB in the early two noughties, and I'll be uh, looking to find out what drives him, what makes DDB so consistently successful over the last 20 years, who his kids support at rugby, and what was the magic formula that has been so successful down here and whether or not it can translate globally. Uh, we'll also talk about what convinced him to come to the backwater of Auckland after the fistication of Melbourne. We'll talk about the highlight of his career and discuss why it was working with me. There are also plenty of tips for those foolish enough to want to grow up and run an international network. So listening closely, children. So a uh, big welcome to Marty O'Halloran of, um, so you're not, are you still CEO of, uh, uh, chairman of DDB Australia and New Zealand or not? No, I've, no, uh, I've lost that job. So you, you do, you're in between, you're in between jobs? No, uh, the new role started immediately. Literally the moment they announced it, uh, it all came flooding towards me. So, so, so you have um, uh, Justin in charge, or Justin Moda in charge of New Zealand, and yes. you, and you have Andrew Little, who, Andrew Little, who was Brisbane, then Melbourne, then Sydney, correct, with, correct. With, with DDB, yep. and, and very much a fan of Bundaberg from memory. Yes, he still likes the odd Bundaberg, uh, but uh, he's mellowing in his age. The the Queenslander. So there's nobody sitting over the two of them. There's no, like a- and look, both of them. Uh, Andrew's worked for me for 20 years, and Justin 10. And yeah. um, I'm going to remain chairman of Australia New Zealand, just right. just because uh, uh, I don't think they need someone uh, in a regional role. Yeah, they're both doing a great job. Both businesses are doing well. Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll check in with them once a week and uh, uh, look after Australia New Zealand as well as. The rest of the 200 officers. Yeah, and if, <laughs> when they bug it up, I'm sure you'll be down. Um, Give me an excuse you, to come back. You'll be down quite soon. Now, uh, Marty, just having been announced as the, as the the new CEO of DDB Global, which is a great achievement for a semi-New Zealander, uh, officially Australianer, as Australianer, but I'm sure there's a there's a bit of key in there. So he's been doing a lot of uh, podcasts and chats. This morning, you did the Wall Street Journal. Yes, and the highlight is coming to see you tonight. But uh, I, yes, I did start with the Wall, Wall Street Journal this morning. Excellent. I'll, I'll have a listen to that when, whenever that's up. And you, uh, Paul McIntyre, is he from the Australian? Yeah, yeah he's got his own podcast, but uh, he uh, spent a lot of time at the Australian. He's a, he's a great journalist, actually. So yeah. I had a, a good chat with him the other day as well. Yeah, great journalist means that his questions are not are not too taxing. But Jonathan Cole, did you see Jonathan Cole and Trump? Yes, he was amazing. That was so clever. He must have had a great relationship with Trump before that meeting to, to be a, to Trump not to throw things at him. Unbelievable! I don't think Trump Trump actually saw it coming. Well, he seemed he seemed to he seemed to quite like him. You know, Jonathan, and you've been doing this and that, and um, oh, that that was 
that was, I think, the most amazing political interview I've yep, ever seen. Yeah, masterclass. Until we, until, until this one. Until this afternoon, yes. Uh, until this afternoon. So, um, Marty, where did it all go wrong? Uh, you, you've got to head up to New York at some stage, October? Yeah, I'm hoping up to get there October, November, but uh, the office in New York's not open yet. Uh, neither's uh, Chicago. Wow. Uh, so uh, we're actually doing a refit of the New York office. Oh, we're moving, um, but because uh, from Madison Avenue, yeah, moving down to one ninety five Broadway, down into the financial district. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the um, yeah, the really they're not really go back into the office yet. So uh, I think at the earliest it'll be October, maybe November, maybe not even until January. So yeah. uh, I will. I will uh, not go up there until the office is open, so I'll just work remotely. How How is that working out? So you're working all hours of day and night, are you? Yeah, it's very taxing. Uh, nine o'clock in New York is one o'clock uh, uh, in New Zealand. So I, do, I, I had a – my first week in the job, I had a finance meeting with Omnicom that started at 1 a.m., finished at 6 a.m., and we went through every P&L of every DDB office globally. So you had to be that quite a, switched on. That was a good that. introduction. <laughs> Jeepers. So I, I remember uh, 20 years ago, DDB New Zealand was one of the top five, uh, viewed as one of the top five agencies by um, uh, DDB globally. And have have those five agencies stayed pretty solid at the top? I seem to remember, I think Singapore was in there yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, the top agencies at the moment are London, of course, uh, Paris, yeah. uh, Singapore Strong. Uh, Sorry, are these the top, the top ones outside America? Uh, top including America. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, there's um, Chicago's a great office. Yeah. Uh, New York's got work to do to get back to where, where it yeah. uh, should be. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the offices uh, that have been doing well have been doing it consistently. There's great agencies like Alma in uh, Miami, Alma DDB, which is a, yeah. a Hispanic agency, but yeah. they do a massive. They've got a. It's actually quite a big agency, um, probably the leading Hispanic agency, and obviously that's a huge market in the US. But um, Brazil is still very strong. Yeah, uh, it would have been back uh, 20 years ago. Is, is Africa still going? Africa is is. A, a, Africa to the non-DDB is is a is an offshoot of DDB in Sao Paulo. Yes, yes, yeah, it and, is, yeah. and they they had a limited number of clients and well, it was a wonderful a different business model. It was a wonderful story when they first started. They said uh, we'll only have eight clients. Yeah, and they very quickly got to eight clients, and there was a waiting list. Yeah. So have they know, maintained eight clients, uh, or are they now up to thirty-two? To be honest, I don't know exactly how yeah. many they've got, but I think it was a great statement in the early days that that really will only work with people that want to do the kind of work we want to do. Yeah. And in Brazil, you know, uh, they were the rock stars of yes. uh, of the industry. So uh, I haven't seen anyone do that in New Zealand lately. Well, I think uh, uh, advertising folk in South America are viewed as rock stars generally, I believe. I think in, yep. in Argentina and Brazil, they have a lot higher status than us poor. Yeah, and when I talk do. to the people in a lot of South American offices, it's they talk about the presidents being their best friends yeah. and they, yeah. they, you know, they're they very connected um, uh, to the political uh, powers, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's kind of uh, take it all back 
Marty and go back 50 years or I don't know. So you're originally from Melbourne. Yes. Um, and you, you went to school in Melbourne and you started off in rowing. Yep, went to school in Melbourne and uh, I was a rower at school and uh, did a bit of that after school. And uh, it was I've been at DDB 34 years yeah. and I've been in the workforce for 35 years. So my first year was a, as a graduate at Colgate Palmolive and... Um, that, that, that's a very disciplined uh, – in marketing, maybe? Yeah, it was a marketing graduate role. Yeah. and uh, But the first six months you, you get a station wagon and uh, a, a car full of toothpaste and soap powder and go and visit supermarkets. Yeah. So that was actually a great experience. And um, it was one of the guys at the rowing club who uh, worked at uh, USP Needham. Yeah. And uh, he drove uh, – i never forget, he had a red BMW – and he always dressed really well and he seemed like he really enjoyed his job and uh, he uh, said to me one day, why don't you come and work at the agency? You know, you're wasting your time at he driving around in a station wagon with uh, toothpaste and, uh, and I thought, oh, he's dressed well, he seems to earn a good dollar and I'll, I'll go and have a look at this uh, opportunity. I'm not sure about a red BMW. I don't think um, any car should be red really, but... No, we'll, no. We'll, we'll let that pass. So... Um, what did you? Uh, what I'm trying to do here is, uh, believe it or not, there is some uh, degree of um, uh, method in this madness, which is to find out for any uh, listeners who uh, want to end up as a global CEO of, of an advertising agency, how you start doing it. So, what what was your degree in? I did a degree in uh, economics and marketing. Yeah, and uh, always loved the marketing side of things, and. Um, my first job was actually working uh, on the McDonald's business out of uh, Melbourne. And uh, it, it actually, it's amazing when you first join an agency, and I think we forget this sometimes when the young people join, it's a whole different language to yep. what you're taught at university. And people start talking about tarps and pneumatics and three-quarter inches and a, a whole language you just go, I've got no idea what these people are talking about. Yep. And um uh, it actually was a sad day when I joined DDB uh, because the um, uh, the first fax machine arrived and uh, the girls in the telex room were packing up their bags because they just lost their jobs because, you know, there was no need for the telex anymore and there was like half a dozen of them and then this one fax machine replaced six people. And so I'm this young bloke arriving going, oh, a very different world. If you don't know what a fax machine is, uh, listeners, ask your parents. If you don't know what a telex machine is, ask your grandparents. But sadly, yeah, my first job had a, a yeah. telex machine in it, which is yeah. um, kind of dating me quite a bit. So you, you were taken on as a, as a graduate trainee by the DDB? Yes, yes. Yeah, and so did you have to, like, go backwards a bit because you already had a job at Colgate? You already uh, uh, well, no, it, as you know, in advertising, you get sort of thrown in straight away yeah. and uh, uh, it was good just working on one account because you then were able to just focus on uh, the job at hand. Uh, and it's really interesting. I think when you first start at that level, the whole idea of creativity and uh, what really drives an agency is, is not front of mind. And, um, no. and, I, and I think it's probably a lesson for us that, that run agencies now is to are we hiring people just because they're good marketing graduates or they seem like nice people uh, or they can get a job done for a client or are we hiring people because 
they're, they've got a passion for doing great creative. And I think I was, I, I, if I'm honest, I took the job. You didn't have that. And, and I didn't have that passion. You didn't have that passion, yeah, but I, you, I, you I, probably I, worked out okay. Yeah, I was a marketer and I said, well, this looks like a fun. McDonald's was 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 uh, obviously uh, um, in its growth phase and was considered to be like the marketing client to work on in terms yeah. of uh, everything that, that they were doing at the time. So... Uh, and, and, it, and it wasn't until I think I'd been at the agency for six months and at one of the um, uh, all-staff meetings they played a reel of DDB work from around the world and that just stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. And all of a sudden I saw this world of amazing creative and uh, it just made me realise what, what this business is all about and probably for that first period uh, – it didn't even occur to me. Yeah, we we had some big clients in the Melbourne office then, Ford and Cadbury and uh, Telecom, which became Telstra. Yeah. So there was lots of great work being produced, but then that next level of creative that uh, was coming out of Europe and North America at the time just blew me away. And then you know, the, the, sort of the, it, it just uh, sort of set fire to the passion, really. And you did. Uh, as um, all uh, people who work on McDonald's, you you had to spend a day. Sorry, not had to. You you enjoyed spending a day in McDonald's working behind the till. Yeah, you know, and um, uh, I, you know, I think you learn a lot from that. And I think there's again, you know, uh, anyone that works in our industry to actually work with a client organisation is a really smart thing to do. You get amazing insights in terms of how things work and why people like the brand and things like that. Um, uh, and you know McDonald's. You know, it used to be one day a year. We'd we'd all go. Right. Everyone that worked on the account would go and work, work, work there for a day. And uh, you know, uh, it's exhausting, mm. uh, but a lot of fun. And you know, you know, you, you always come back with something out of it. So you you've worked on uh, McDonald's as long as you've been at DDB. Yep. Yep. Quite- no, I really have. Uh, I've been involved with it for thirty four years. And you know, last week I was. Chatting to the the regional CEO based in Australia uh, about how the business was going across Australia, New Zealand, and um, you know uh, it's a very different business to what it was back then. But um, uh, again, you know my my job has always been just to get a lot of really good people uh, and keep changing the sort of people we put on the on the account because yeah. the, the business has changed dramatically. It's interesting that you worked on, on Colgate and McDonald's. They're both very structured, very clever marketing organisations. Um, I, I, I worked on on both of them in various different countries as well. And um, but McDonald's work at times is is absolutely fantastic. The thing I like about McDonald's, while there's a uh, there's a framework for McDonald's advertising, there's local freedom and. Yeah. Uh, w- if you think about the work we do out of New Zealand and Australia, it's considered to be some of the best work in the world. Yeah, uh, because we understand what's happening locally, and local clients have the power to to, to produce <laughs> brand work in particular. That wasn't me. That was the dog. <laughs> um, uh, have the power to produce work that's right for the business, and um, you know uh, the Kiwi Burger uh, campaigns on air at the moment, and your good mate Pete, Pete Thompson Thompson's old ad, wrote, yeah. wrote that. I think about thirty years ago, but uh, I remember the the global president of McDonald's just happened to come into New Zealand uh, as we were selling that campaign into uh, into McDonald's, and uh, the CEO at short notice just bought this guy called Fred Turner, who was the number two employee 
employee that uh, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, employed. And he just arrived unannounced and he said, so what's the latest thing you're working on? And I said, oh, there's Kiwi Burger. And we presented the script. I think Pete presented the script to him. And this bloke, he just couldn't get his head around it. He said, so you're going to do a burger with beets in it and (laughs) and an egg? And uh, he thought we were crazy, but he said... It feels like the right thing to do because if that's what Kiwis want, let's 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 go and do it. And um, credit to Pete Thompson, you know, uh, for for coming up with that idea. And it works. So just just going back, we're in we're in Melbourne. How how long were you at um, DDB Melbourne? For? Uh, only only uh, two years. Okay, so uh, Melbourne, from uh, my experience uh, over there, and from the the citizens of Melbourne. It's a great city, but the citizens of Melbourne love it and often they don't want to leave and they certainly don't want to leave to go to New Zealand. What what prompted you to um, transfer your skills after two years from Melbourne over to the... take a step backwards, as it were, into into New Zealand? Well, it was a funny thing because I, uh, I'd done two years and I... I worked really hard to try to make an impression, and um, uh, the I was a in an offshoot role running a regional uh, um, part of the McDonald's business for, for Victoria and South Australia, and the main part of the account was in Sydney. Yeah, and they kept promising me uh, that they'd transfer me to Sydney to work on the main part of the business, and uh, I think I was doing too good a job in Melbourne, and they didn't want to disrupt that. And uh, that's then, your view, anyway. That's my view. Yeah. Um, but then uh, we actually had a, a, a conference with some New Zealand blokes that came across. One of them was Doug Fode. Yeah. And he and I got on like a house on fire and um, he he tried to uh, – he, he went to the David Fernley, who at the time was running DDB Australia, and said, look, can I take this young bloke over to New Zealand because, you know, uh, I need an account director for the McDonald's business. Yeah. And um, they kept promising me that no, oh, no, no, you don't don't take this role. Um, we want you to uh, eventually go up to Sydney. And six months went on, and they just I think they were just sort of stalling me. Yeah. Uh, so in the day, I I actually resigned, and uh, then the next day I was employed by DDB New Zealand because back then the two officers couldn't get there, couldn't work out how to transfer a young talent. So, I, um, I think we've probably got it more together these days and uh, listeners in case you've um, been paying attention to the backstory of uh, Truth and Soul we've done a previous episode with Michael Fode who is the son of uh, Doug Fode um, who is the the English Australian guy who uh, English Australian Kiwi a lot of mixed yeah. sort of nationalities who who brought Marty over here so what so how was it for a for a guy from the young guy from the sophisticated metropolis of Melbourne coming to the the um, what might have been considered in those days a backwater of Auckland. Yeah, look, and and it was a little bit. You know, uh, I came from a very you know Melbourne's quite a sophisticated European city, and back then it was in the uh, mid eighties, and yeah. um, New Zealand wasn't that. You know, there wasn't a cafe culture. There weren't many restaurants. Uh, it was, and again, there was still a whole lot of old English cars on the roads and uh, I was a bit shocked when I first got here. But um, So you came here, you hadn't been to New Zealand before. Was the first time you came here was... First time I came was w- uh, when I started the job and, you know, being a 26-year-old then I was, 
it was just an exciting adventure that I thought I'd do for a couple of years and then either go back to Australia or keep travelling. Uh, but uh, got in the groove and, uh, you know, uh, and kept sort of progressing through the ranks um, in New Zealand. So you came over as an as account director in 95-ish? Uh, no, no, it was in 88. 88? Really? Yeah. I didn't realise yeah. that you'd been here that long. Yeah, yeah. So so you, you became... Um, worked your way up, and when I, I came over in two thousand, and from memory, uh, Doug Foday was the CEO. You were the managing director. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but but Doug was stepping back a bit over the. the he was, year. and look, Doug was great. He he was sort of creating room for me and uh, thinking about what his next venture was going to be um, or adventure. Uh, and uh, again, yeah, we had a fantastic relationship, and. Uh, uh, you know, there's some great stories um, in terms of how we started building the business uh, over those years um, around the time when you arrived. Yep. And uh, if I remember, we sort of started climbing the ladder creatively, um, uh, quite dramatically under your uh, leadership, Paul. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that. Uh, but there were there were other things going because you also got Jeff Ross. Yeah. Jeff Ross in, who, who went on to uh, found... Uh, 42 below and is now, I think he's CEO of MOA. Yes. I tell you, one of the greatest things that happened to me, I went to, it would have been a couple of years before you started, I went to an Axis Awards down in Wellington. Yeah. And we won one award. And I reckon Saatchi's in uh, Wellington and Auckland combined would have won 70% of the awards that night. Yeah. And... Of, of a crowd of 500 people, 250 were from Saatchi's and I sat there just humiliated. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like, this is it. Like, you know, never again am I going to come to an Axis Award and be, you know, humiliated like that again. And yeah. um, it was not long after that that uh, got the opportunity to, to bring Jeff Ross in because there was some magic happening with Saatchi's in those days. Uh, they, were, they were a global force. In terms of their their recognition, and so uh, you know, um, it was great to get Jeff and sort of get a lot of that passion that that existed in that agency back then into DDB, and he made an immediate impact. Um, You're producing a large amount of vodka. Which is- well, I let him do that on the side, yeah. um, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased for him how that ended up. But uh, he um, he did some great things. I remember one of the first things he did was he took a blank wall and filled it with Velcro and uh, titled it the, the Wall of Fame. Hmm. And he basically said to all the suits, well, there's nothing up there at the moment, so it's up to all of you to start producing work yeah. uh, and owning work as suits that is good enough to, uh, you know, be recognised at award shows. And I think that was... That was, you know, part of that part of the turning point. I think of, of DDB. We were always a very solid business agency yeah. that delivered great results for clients, but we weren't. You know, we had moments of great creative um, output, but we weren't consistent. Um, uh, to me, th- there was a step change uh, at at some point along the the um, along the journey around that around that time where uh, DDB. DDB, where where I'm I'm guessing that you went right. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this seriously. It'd been a solid, uh, as you say, occasional sparks of 
created brilliant, solid agency, and you went right. That's that's going to change. We're we're going to do this more creatively, properly. Is that is that as you remember it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, uh, if I look back now, and what I talk about a lot is if you get the the culture right and the right mix of people, and you, you can't just rely. The reason I mentioned Jeff, for example, any agency that thinks just by hiring a rock star creative uh, mm. is going to get get you that step change, it won't. It's got to yeah. be the whole agency's got to uh, be on that journey, and uh, you know it was a combination of people like Jeff, people like Janelle, people like yourself, people like Pete Thompson, who who creatively had the ability to, to deliver world-class work, but unless you have that team around you um, to create the briefs, to sell the ideas, to, to make sure they're, they've got budget to be produced with quality, all those things have to come together. And um, for me, uh, you know, you... you you you, t- you talk about a great band, you know. Yes. If you get the band together and it's working right, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Leifau, head of planning in a in Australia, always talks about the Beatles, and you know, they were all great on their own, but when you put them together, uh, and the, that's when the magic really happened. But they were all great on their on their yeah. own, and, and the Who they had a great drummer and had a great bassist yeah. as well as Roger Daltrey and, and yeah. Tanza and Led Zeppelin as well, great drummer and a, and a great bassist. Um. So a very, a very personal question because I I I come over from London. I'd not been at the agency long. I can't remember, maybe a year. And I, I was offered a job by Colenso, and that that would, had all been signed sealed. I was going to go over and work with Toby Talbot. Remember him? Yeah. And you and. Doug came to me. I, I don't know if you called me in on Saturday and you sat me down and and gave me a letter at, which basically said, we want you to be part of the renaissance, the, 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 the creative leadership of um, DDB in, in strong terms. And obviously there was, a, there were, there was some uh, uh, financial sweetness with that, but the key thing to me was that somebody showed... Uh, a, a belief in in foolishly in my ability to do that, and I and I, I wonder where that came from, and where the, your ability to sorry Monty's climbing all over Marty, uh, your ability to to spot creative leadership. Yeah, because I look, uh, I, I remember observing you as someone who had great creative ability, but I don't think at the time you had the confidence to. Uh, you know, take that yep. leadership role, and all, all you needed was that nudge, I think, or someone to say, "I think you can do it." And um, you know, you were a great senior talent, and, and in my book, an amazing writer. And 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 uh, and again, I saw the way you connected with people, and you know, that next step up for any senior creative is a massive one. Yes, and, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of younger creatives don't realise how big that step is in terms of being able to spot good ideas, sell good ideas, create a culture within a creative department, and um, uh, uh, you know I, I just saw saw in you something that that perhaps at the time you didn't see in yourself, and um, and it was just wonderful to see you you rise to the challenge uh, when you were 
when you were given that opportunity? Um, I, I, thank you. And a, and a very, for me, a very important part part of that work, that, that, that's Monty again, who's getting bored by this conversation, um, uh, is that uh, you were a great believer in helping people to uh, to do that and to make the, the best of themselves. And, and I remember going to Sydney with a whole bunch of other uh, uh, senior DDB people from Auckland to go on a two-day two day Omnicom senior management training course. Yep. And that that made a fantastic difference to to me and I think to other to the other people there uh, in that it showed you how to run an agency. Whereas before that, I'd been just trying to do the, the best ad that I could. And that, and that gave me... Excuse me. <laughs> this is getting real interesting. You're listening to Truth and Soul. Soul. Uh, excuse me. That, that gave me the um, opportunity to 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 see the the bigger picture. Yeah. Do, do you still do those courses? Is that no, we do, and and I think it's important that uh, creative leaders have a, a really good understanding of the the broader business strategy, and uh, because you you get a better understanding of what 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 makes an agency work. Uh, I don't. I don't think you want to get creative directors into too much of the detail of that because it can be a bit mind-numbing, but an overview in terms of how an agency functions is so important, and especially in today's world where it is a lot more complicated than it was back in the 80s and 90s uh, in terms of the the technology and the data and the different channels that we're using. Um, I think it's really important. And, uh, again, if you're a senior part of any agency, you, you, you do have to have that understanding. Uh, so I think for me, those sort of courses are brilliant. And again, some of some of the some of the thinking uh, I've been lucky to do quite a few of them uh, yeah. um, up in uh, uh, at Harvard. And you know, some of the stuff I've learned from some of those Harvard Business School professors, I've put into practice, and I've seen it work. Yes. Um, and uh, again, uh, when I was talking to the Wall Street Journal this morning, um, that lesser that lesser organ. That, that, yeah. um, uh, I was making that point in terms of my simple formula that I've I've used for twenty years has been get the right people, get the most amazing talent, that will drive great creative, and then your profit will come. Yeah. Too many agencies in today's world, it's all about profit first, and yeah. and we'll see if we can find room to hire some people and uh, we hope the creative will be okay um, and I think uh, I've, I hold on to that dearly and you know uh, that's that's my challenge now globally is to just to make sure all our officers um, have got that uh, mantra yeah it's it's not a complicated formula I remember first coming across it all, all those years ago and went okay that's that's great I can understand that and a lot of I, I think a lot of other agencies outside DDB or uh, Omnicom, I talk about it, but they they talk about pe- people, product, and profit being the, m- the most important thing. But they they kind of have them willy nilly in terms of order. Whereas you say yep. it's, uh, there's profit first, they don't have that 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 strict strict delineation between them. Yeah, the important thing for me is I always, and I've had two conversations around the world today in this regard, is I back my leaders as well. So yeah. if someone comes to me and says, "Look, there's this amazing copywriter. I know I haven't got budget, but..." 
I, I guarantee it's going to make a difference. I'll back them on some of that stuff. Yeah. Whereas if it doesn't fit with a formula with some other networks, uh, you're just not allowed to hire that person. Yeah. And uh, especially as we've diversified what DDB is today, uh, uh, you know, when the guys from Trackow, data-driven uh, creative business, uh, if they come to me and go, we need another data analyst or we need someone who can run this MarTech platform and some of it, I don't even understand half of it, but uh, if, if I see the passion in their eyes and, and I'll back them. I go, okay, well, you know, if you look at me and tell me it's going to convert to better work and better profit, well, then have a go. And not all of it will work, but again, that's also a lesson you have to learn. Well, um, a great, a great uh, DDP DDP mantra was freedom to fail. Yeah, that was uh, yeah. G- give your people the freedom to fail. Uh, an important lesson, I think, there for um, want to be creative directors talking to other uh, ECDs about the fact that nobody trains you how to do it. Uh, you can you can start by learning how to run an agency, which which will. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to. If the work up through the ranks, be an MD, be a suit, and be a CEO. But having a, a strong understanding of, of how an agency works financially, what what it what it's trying to do, how the uh, um, roughly how the finances work is really 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 useful. important. Really important. I think. Um, okay, so uh, I, I remember you. So I was, um, uh, I, th- I think, ECD, and. Um, you said I said, "What do you want from me?" I don't know if if that that's currently if if that's what other uh, leaders from departments say to you, but because I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing, so I said, "What do you want?" And you said, um, "Okay, well, I, I want to be the best agency, the best most creative agency in Asia Pacific." I think was what you said, and I went, "Oh shit, we were about number five in New Zealand, I think, at the time." Um, and so I went, I went away and I wrote down on a piece of paper a list of things that I thought we needed to do to do that. And I thought, well, I'll go and see Marty with these and he'll go, well, we're not doing that. And, well, forget that. And But you just you, you kind of read it for a minute, looked at it and said, OK, right, do all of those. And and that was it. And that was how we... Yeah, and, and look, that's what that's the way it should be. And, and uh, I think... Um... You can't always say yes to everything, but uh, you, you've you've got to give people that opportunity. And um, uh, I think cre- the other thing that people have to do with creative leaders is, you know, you've got to invest time as well uh, in terms of, as you were saying, explaining what uh, what it is that drives the business, but but also really start to understand what drives the individual. Uh, that's what I've learned, and um, it, it's. It's as I said earlier. It is such a challenging job, and there's so much that rests on your shoulders as the creative leader, and you're managing the excitement and the disappointment of your team, uh, the pressure, the yep. rejection, the elation. Uh, so it's very emotional, and yep. uh, and I think again those those leaders of agencies that don't understand the emotional roller coaster, uh, again won't have that tight relationship and uh, I, I invest a lot of time with creative leaders and I make sure the MDs and CEOs that work for me also are people that are prepared to invest that time as well because that's 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 what will get the best work out of people but also it'll it'll you'll keep the good ones as well 
Yeah, I I always thought that you had my back. I don't know what you know what other conversations will be going on, but I I felt that there was a there was a like a, a safety net, and that if I fucked up too badly, which did happen on occasions, I seem to remember having to shoot talk with um, Mike Watson from Sky about this. We had to reshoot an ad for various reasons, which was a bit unfortunate. And you <laughs> had to go cap in hand to you and go, oh, I made a bit of a stuff up here, Marty. Um, now, if I recall, you, you had such a talented team that you had two different teams in your agency come up with the same idea and sell it to two different clients and produce it. And it was only when both ads were produced, we realised we'd produced the same idea, if I remember, Paul. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, that was fairly accurate. And, it, and as, as uh, ECD, it was you know, absolutely my fault. <laughs> and I, I, I desperately looked for other people to blame, but <laughs> I couldn't find any. Um, and for those of you who know, back then I think we had four creative teams, so we had a massive team to, to manage. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a bit bigger yeah. than that. Um, but, um, look, but again, for me, that was a good example where did I get angry? No. Uh, I, I actually not, not, not visibly. Anyway. <laughs> I actually remember we had to fund uh, another commercial for one of the clients. Yeah. Um, it was Sky, we, and Mike Watson was a wonderful client uh, yeah. because at the time he understood these things happen, and we we fronted up the cash to make a new ad, and he was fine. And um, uh, you know, I, I think for me that's again it's showing the freedom to fail and and you know backing your people who. Yeah, you know, we will make mistakes. You know, some of the stuff that we produce won't be quite what we thought it was going to be when we when we get to the edit suites. You know, so we've got to be prepared to, um, you know, uh, help get the thing right. Yeah, I'd, uh, but um, fellow ECDs don't don't kind of make a habit of that. I think I only only fucked up to that to that major extent once. Well, I bet you didn't do that again. Probably, well, not that I told you about. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, that's the main thing. Um, and the uh, uh, the other thing that you were very good at was uh, coaching me in that I, I think I, I, I could be uh, obviously something that um, listeners will know I got over completely ever being grumpy, but I sometimes I would show my um, discontent or um, through body language in meetings and yeah, I remember you you calling me in ostensibly about something else. I got to learn that when you were when you called me to the office to talk about something, it wasn't really what you wanted to talk about, and then it would it would end up just being a bit of very subtle coaching, as to uh, sitting there with a scowl on your face, staring at a piece of paper on the desk was maybe not the best way to behave in client meetings. God knows I tried to um, to keep to that, but I, I haven't. Haven't always succeeded. Yeah, but I think the, the thing is, no matter what level you get to in this business, you've got to always be learning, and those around you have to help you, uh, you know, chase your dreams. And and the, the way of I, I now articulate it, I didn't didn't at the time when we were working together, but you know, my role, the way I see it now, is is to help people achieve more than they ever imagined they could in this business. And for me, that's a wonderful thought to have as a as a manager. And you're absolutely right. You know, uh, I often call myself the coach. Yeah. And uh, in an interview, actually the Paul McIntyre interview, he was going, you're quite low profile. You know, mm. why is it that you're not sort of as uh, highly visible in the media? 
And I made a conscious choice probably about 10 years ago to my job was to make all of my up-and-coming leaders the ones that were visible. And, mm. and my job was to coach them to, 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 to greatness and through that, I would I would get the um, you know the, the the accolades in different ways. Yes. Um, and, and I think for me again, that's a that's a wonderful thought to have for young people coming up in this business to go, whether someone's your boss or not. You know, what are you doing to help them succeed? Because yeah. if you help them, they're going to help you. Yeah. And, and I think again, I think that's part of the culture we've developed in in DDB in this part of the world very much is that collegiate spirit. And, you know, we're all in this together. And obviously there's moments where people are fight and aren't happy and there's stuff that goes on in the process. But if generally that's the sort of way we behave and, you know, again, when someone steps out of line and is bitchy or political, that's when, you know, they'll have one of those quiet little meetings with me where they'll get a bit of coaching. Yes. Um, and, and I think for me that's so important. Uh, uh, as, as we help people uh, uh, progress. Yeah. So, Monty, would you be, <laughs> just be quiet. Keep smiling. Just keep smiling. Uh, so, at, at, at some stage um, during those years, you, I remember you, you, you came to see me, which you know graced me um, with your presence by, by. Um, Coming down to to the office, and he said, "So what? So what do you, you know, what do you want to do in five years?" And, I, and I'm not sure what you're asking that apropos of. It's quite a common interview question these days. So where do you see yourself in five years' time? And I think it's a good thing to get to get people thinking about from an early age. And you asked me that, and I said, "I I would be interested in starting my own agency." Um, and I said, "What about you? What do you want to do?" And you said, I want to run um, Australia and New Zealand from New Zealand. And I laughed. I think maybe you laughed as well. I don't know. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. Because New Zealand was very much, to my mind, viewed by the Australians as a satellite of uh, um, a satellite of, of Australia, sort of slightly below Tasmania. And, and let's not worry about it. And occasionally they'd chuck us a bone, but they didn't really take much interest. And the idea that that although as highly regarded as, as DDB New Zealand was, that uh, you'd be in a position to run both of those seemed um, unlikely to me. Maybe you, you knew more than me, but it happened. How did how did that come about? Well, it came about because uh, it was about fifteen years ago. Uh, New Zealand made more money than Australia in one particular year, <laughs> and uh, I think eventually. Um, uh, the powers that be in DDB said, there's something wrong here. And uh, that's where they said to me, will you, uh, will you take on the job to, to run both countries? And they said, it has to be in Sydney. Uh, and uh, I said yes to that. And knowing that, you know, I was going, to, I had a plan to uh, get the business sorted and yeah. then uh, come back to New Zealand. Uh, and uh, so I spent three years uh, building up uh, DDB in Sydney and, and we had an incredible ride um, in terms of business wins and growth during those three years. Um, it was, uh, so listen to this, so 
I've said yes to taking on the role. Yeah. And I rang uh, the biggest client then in Australia was McDonald's. So I rang the McDonald's CEO, a guy called Peter Bush, and said, hey, Bushy, um, some exciting news. I've just been put in the new trans-Tasman role, sort of running uh, DDB Australia and New Zealand. Um, just wanted to let you know as our most important client. The first thing he did was say, um, I think you should not take the role. That's a, that's he said, uh, we're going to fire you next week. Fuck. And I, right. <laughs> and I said, right, uh, okay, um, will you give me a month? And uh, he said, uh, I'll have to talk to the CMO because he's about to go and uh, uh, make an appointment at the agency to 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 finish things up. And um, to his credit, and uh, the CMO at the time, they they gave me a period of time, and uh, we very quickly uh, turned things around. And I think that was part of the start of the journey in Australia, where we 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 won. Telstra, we won Tourism Australia, we won many, uh, we won Coles Supermarkets. Like we won, like we had an amazing run of yeah. business wins. Um, and that three years was extraordinary. And uh, we gave the people the confidence. We, uh, we, were, we, were, we were really on fire. And, and it, was, it was pretty much the, the uh, uh, Matt Eastwood came in, I think, as ECD. At the same time. But the, but the Matt. Uh, the, it was uh, the same people. Same management, and, uh, same. Yeah, and it was really, it really was a case of taking a team that that um, uh, probably the band analogy. It was a great mm. set of individuals, but hadn't quite worked out how how to work together. And um, uh, and you know, uh, uh, some of those guys are still there now. Yes. Um, and um, uh, so I'm really sort of proud of what we achieved then. Uh, and the strength of what we got Australia to gave me the uh, the power to say, well, I'm going to go. Back to New Zealand and run the business uh, uh, regionally from Auckland, and you know I've been doing that for the last twelve years. And that was, uh, and you wanted to do that for mainly family reasons. Yeah, for family reasons. Uh, Deborah is a Kiwi, and uh, I wanted uh, the kids to do their secondary schooling in New Zealand, and um, and and I knew I could I could actually do it. Just meant I had to travel a bit. But uh, it's actually worked out really well, and there's still, uh, again, I I, I I sort of moved back quite quietly, and there's there's I think there's still a few Australian clients that actually think I still live in Australia. Careful, um, we have a lot, a lot of uh, listeners to this podcast all over the net. No, but I think yeah. I think that's the beauty of it is that I was always I was regularly in the Sydney and Melbourne offices and very visible and very much a part of the agency. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, equally divided my time between Australia and New Zealand. So I was, I was there, supporting all those leaders uh, on, on their journeys, as we were discussing before. And you got uh, Sandy in uh, as uh, he was CEO of yes, in, yes, in New, in New Zealand. Yes, he was, and uh, you know, uh, Sandy Moore, uh, listener, <laughs> had uh, worked with Doug Fode. Uh, and and so it was Sandy and Doug and Mark. so the the can the consistency there, and and Sandy had kind of taken a backward step, and you got him. Yeah, and look, and and Sandy's been a huge part of the success of New Zealand in terms of uh, uh, he set up a lot of our um, uh, diversified businesses in terms of PR and direct marketing and sales promotions uh, over the years, and. Um, 
and 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 he did a terrific job uh, uh, as I um, went to Australia and, uh, and you know um, for seven or eight years was CEO uh, running the business um, and. And again, you know, uh, executing the business strategy that we'd, we'd um, uh, set up uh, as part of that focus of uh, growth and desire to be the, the biggest and the best in New Zealand. And, um, uh, yeah, Sandy's now retired. He's, he's been retired for five years. and But he still feels part of the agency and, we'll, you know, we regularly catch up and, uh, and he cheers us a lot from the sidelines, which is, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I caught up with Sandy last on a on a plane to Houston. Right. He, he was going to get off to see Ronald McDonald. Uh, Marty, if it's all right, I'm going to uh, we'll we'll just have a quick stop there, a quick loo break, and I will take um, Monty to the car. <laughs> the, the constant. <laughs> you have, have lots of strange noises. The, the constant whinging. I don't know why he's had like four walks today. I would have thought we'd be okay. He just loves you. On the other hand, his dog provides a great source of comfort and security. That combination of new lung power is hard on the neighbours. Sure about that. Yep, no problem. Uh, Marty, you've you've hired a number of uh, ECDs over the years in New Zealand and Australia, and you've had great creative continuity over that time. As much as I'd, I'd like to say it was all down to me, it, it, you've obviously proved that it's not an individual uh, ECD, that, but that you're you, you're very good at, at, at hiring them and enabling them to do their job. What do you look for in a an ECD? How how is it that you that you manage to kind of get this consistency of nice and talented? Well, I think the first thing is you've got to you've got to find someone who has the talent and has a, a track record. But for me, I look I look to people that have got probably two things. One is the ability to nurture that talent and manage it, manage them in a way that will help them create the brilliant ideas. I, I never look for creative directors who are going to try to write all the ads themselves because um, there's a few of them around. Um, and most importantly, you've got to have a combination of creative skill and the ability to build relationships and sell that work. And again, if I look at you, if I look at someone like Toby, I look at Matt Eastwood, I look at Damon, um, there's a similar thing that you see, you know, amazing raw talent but the ability to sell. And I think sometimes we underestimate the pressure our clients are under when they're sitting there having three ideas presented at them and we're sitting there leaning forward yeah. on the table going, do you like it? Do you like it? Mm. And, uh, you know, again, the great creative directors just give clients confidence to say yes. And those that sit on the fence uh, and unsure of their work, uh, the clients feel it as well. Yeah. So so they're the sorts of qualities I look for. Um, and, you know, that, that that's a proven formula. And, uh, you know, the ability of uh, a, a great creative to take a client on a journey. And sometimes it's not all about the size of the budgets, but, you know, to take what might have been a brief with a $300,000 budget attached to it that ends up being a million-dollar production, it's not 
that we're trying to actually get the client to spend more money. We've just got the client to think bigger. Mm. And for me, that's what I just love when you sort of see the power of, say, what we do for Lotto. And uh, there's been a number of people within Lotto over the years that have, that have questioned why we spend so much money. Uh, and it's, it's not about the fact that it's a lot of money. It's about that they're big ideas that are actually going to connect with New Zealanders and make them feel something. Uh, and, again, that's a hard thing to sell, you know, off a piece of paper with a little story about a pirate or whatever it happens to be. Uh, and, again, I look for people that can that are great storytellers uh, uh, and, you know, you're one of them. I, I, I certainly wouldn't put myself down as a great salesman of advertising, but I think I, think I was lucky when we worked together I had, I had some good people around me. Yeah, but I think that's part of it as well because, you know, others are better salesmen than others, but then it's it's like, you know, sometimes you have to lean a bit more on some of the suits or the strategist or some of your mm. creatives. Yeah. Um, uh, and, again, you know, I saw your confidence build as you produced more and more great work and uh, and, and I saw clients like, like Sky TV is a really good one where – there was absolute confidence in uh, over time. Whatever you presented, uh, you know, it was a yes. And, and you know, uh, uh, again, you know, the proof is in what you deliver. And uh, and again, I think, I think also when you develop those relationships, you probably care more than the client almost to make sure it's going to be good uh, because you don't want to let them down because you've got a personal relationship at the end Definitely. of the day. Definitely, yeah. You 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 don't want to. You don't want to. Well, you never want to stuff up. I mean, you never want something to be embarrassing. But it's not just for yourself; it's for the the client as well. If someone's put the faith in you to do it, you desperately want it to to Ab work out and absolutely and be successful. So, um, twenty years of unprecedented creative and business success down here. I, I I don't I don't mean this interview to sound like a, a hagiography about a my because you know we we haven't worked together for 15 years but it, you know, ddb over the last 20 years in in new zealand has has had tremendous success and you've been behind it but now you you go off to new york and you have to tell coach ceos in in other network agencies who will no doubt be going, oh, I, I, you know, I saw him 20 years ago and think that much of him and now he's sitting in the office telling me what to do. He doesn't even speak our language. How is that going to go? Look, I've got no doubt I'll have my challenges. Uh, the good thing is those around our network have seen the... Um, consistent success of DDB Australia New Zealand so it's not as if we've just had a couple of good years we've had as you say really the last 20 years has been pretty strong and we've shown con continued uh, creative uh, recognition but also our our financials have been brilliant so from that point of view you um, people do sit forward and listen and um the reception I've had over the last two weeks since uh, my role was announced has been fantastic, mm. and I do believe it's quite genuine. And I do have, I do have my people in the network as well that tell me uh, what people are really thinking. And yeah. 
I think there's a there's a genuine uh, excitement because uh, I'm not coming in to uh, just keep everyone doing exactly what they're doing today and let's all be happy with where we're at. Yeah. Um, uh, I've already sent a signal out to the whole network of 10,000 people that uh, it is the mission of every DDB office to be number one. Uh, many of our officers are there. Uh, some are almost there and some have a long way to go. And so we will be building plans for all three types of agencies that we have in our network and um, I will not rest until we are number one at CAN. And, you know, we often talk about top three at CAN. Uh, I will be number one at CAN. And, uh, and uh, as you know, uh, I am quietly spoken but extremely competitive and uh uh i i that's the mandate that i'm i'm uh, i'm i'm insisting is there for all of our leaders and uh some some regions are going to be much harder than others uh we've got some fabulous officers you know um, yeah. adam and eve ddb uh, ddb in paris ddb in uh colombia uh, miami you know so we've got some amazing um agencies uh, but we've got a lot of others that have to to rise to that position that uh, you know uh, Bill Burnback would want us to have so are you gonna say to every uh, to the heads of offices um, okay I, I want you to be number one in the market what what's your plan for getting there yeah look I'm I'm uh, I've written a plan uh, for the network uh, which I'm rolling out and then uh, that will help guide each of the. Uh, it's my secret formula. Yeah. Um, and and that that will help guide all of the officers. And uh, you know, I'm really realistic. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but I've been there. You know, mm. I, 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 I you know, etched in my memory is that day in Wellington when I sat there with Sarchi's dominating yeah. things. And we all need something like that. Yeah. To to galvanise us. And uh, you know, no one likes coming second or third really you know we you know uh, we, we you know it's good on your journey but there's nothing better than when you're agency of the year or you've you've won more access awards or more at award or, or at can or any of the other major shows and um you know again i think it's amazing to see you know how new zealand uh, and it was pioneered by sachi so i've got to admit that you know how we do so well at can relative to the size of the market and, um, you know, we've been a big con- contributor to that and some of agencies like uh, Colenso and, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's definitely going to be the um, the mission of all DDB officers and uh, that excites a lot of people in the network that they've got a CEO who's saying that. There's a lot of um, skullduggery cheating that, that goes on at CAN, obviously from potentially from lesser networks, the, there's always the possibility that in order to get to the position of number one, you may have to resort to that skullduggery. Yeah, and look, I don't, I don't mind a little bit of that on the side. You know, it's, it's part, of, part of what we do. Uh, I, I should qualify, when I talk about number one, Creative awards only one of the measures. There's there's three measures for me. One is one is creative awards. Um, one is client satisfaction. Like you might you might have a client who doesn't win a lot of awards, 
but we're doing the best work in the category. So for me, that's something to celebrate. And the number th- number three is the effectiveness of those of that creative. So as I measure it, it's not not just purely we've won more can awards than everyone. It's that sort of holistic measure of creative leadership is is what is how I look at things. Um, and look, end of the day, in an in an agency where we work extremely hard to create platforms and great bits of creative for our big clients, you know. We have to we have to also give our creatives an outlet to come up with um, uh, amazing ideas for for smaller clients or for charities, uh, and you know I really applaud the ones that actually do something that does help a charity or you know I I, I do worry about the one off billboard that really doesn't sort of make any yeah. difference at all, but you know again uh, I I remember a client once saying to me is you know. Tell your creatives if they can get my sales going at least five percent uh, in growth, uh, I'll let I'll give them a full page to do uh, a press ad, something really cool, which maybe I won't really won't like that much, but that'll be, I'll give them that reward. Now, for me, that's a great client who says, you know, I know what really drives them, and you know, it, there's 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 a gift I'll give you for getting my sales going. But um, yeah, I mean, what what drives me. More than that, personally now than that than that single page to do whatever you want is the almost the um, the riddle of of how to get of of how to to, to help the client to be more effective. This is the yeah. client's issue. How how do we solve that? To me, is is a way more um, interesting and fulfilling problem than this is the client's uh, problem. How can we win an award for it? Uh, look, I, I'm totally with you, and that's why for me that's the, the, the one of the important measures of of creative leadership. And uh, the good thing about DDB uh, again, say in New Zealand, is we don't only win great uh, numbers of creative awards; we're always dominant in the Effies, um, and that's a huge focus for us. And uh, you know, when you when you actually have a, a client like uh, Lotto that creatively is really well regarded and wins lots of major awards, but then also wins, you know, uh, it's won a lot of effies. Uh, you oh. know, for me, that's just, that's the, you know, that's that's what really we should all be celebrating when you get both working together. Yeah. Uh, who, who is the, uh, does DDB have a, a global ECD at the moment? Um, do we have a global? Um, <laughs> yes, we do. We do. We do. Oh, who's that? Hey. Who is it? You should know. I know I should, but I haven't. I, 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 no, it's a guy called Ari Weiss, who was. Oh, no, I didn't know. I had no idea. Yeah, Ari was. Um, uh, he was uh, head of uh, North America. Yeah. And uh, he's been in the global role for uh, about a year now, I think. Oh, um, okay. And and he's doing a terrific job, and uh, he'll be a key partner of mine in um, in the journey that we we go on globally. And uh, he's got a great group of. Creative leaders uh, around the world that we get together regularly. So, again, I'll be spending a lot of time with them, and then, again, yeah. that'll be a signal to all of them that the global CEO is actually going to invest time meeting with the creative leaders in all the different regions and helping them on their journeys uh, uh, from a regional point of view, but also down to a local market point of view. Uh, and the global uh, chief creative officer is going to spend some time on his PR to, so that 
even even doofuses like me um, living on the beach um, have heard from him. Yeah. Um, now, I've got a few questions here from uh, avid uh, listeners. A gentleman uh, called Doug Foday wants to know, what was the tipping point that led you to leave your hometown, Melbourne, to come join DDB New Zealand 37 years ago? I think you've answered that. I have. And, like, and he, it was him. He, was he, said, he said to me, don't worry, Marty, resign, and I promise you I'll hire you the next day. And uh, and you've got to imagine, like, I was I was like two years into my career, and so Doug orchestrated all of that, and the Australian CEO at the time went nuts. It went up to New York. It became a major issue within DDB, and I'm sitting there going, hey, I'm a... Yeah. Two-year-in, uh, young, naive account guy going, what the hell's going on here? Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, to Doug's credit, he got his way and um, the Australian bloke at the time missed out. Um, and Andrew Scott, who you may know. Yes, um, I do, yeah. Um, previous CEO of TBWA in Melbourne and Auckland. He wants to know if you were the most successful of all your mates at school. I think this is a pointed question. Uh, I no. Well, to, how do you define success? You know, we've got a global CEO of an advertising yeah, that, network. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't think I've got many from school that are doing sort of global roles from that point of view. But um, there are guys who are brain surgeons and uh, you know top flight engineers and uh, uh, far more important jobs in terms of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Look, it's uh, with proper jobs. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, uh, but but yeah, no. It's um, I never. I actually at school, I never thought I would actually um, uh, ever rise to this sort of level. And even uh, I remember thinking, as a young bloke, uh, if I got to group account director, that that would mean I've made it in advertising. I ne- never actually dreamed that I'd, I'd sort of get to run an agency. And um, and and I think to everyone. Uh, who's young in the industry, it's like, you know, dream big because, you know, if you're a good person, you work hard and you're smart, you know, you can go anywhere in this industry. Well, I, I, yeah, this is something I've, I've been giving a lot of thought to um, in my time between uh, um, dog walking and fishing is that you can't, you can't, you can't all do it. You know, DDB has 10,000 people. You have one global yeah. CEO and, okay, you can you, – you can, it's, it's about making the most of, of what you, you've got and, and, uh, and, and outperforming. I, I, and I think it's really important we also <clears throat> celebrate a lot of people are happy at a certain level. And, yes. you know, if, if you become a great writer and you might go, I never, I never want to be a creative director. Yeah. Uh, we've got to actually celebrate that because, and, and I often say that, you know, um, there's lots of great account directors that don't want the responsibility of going up to that next level and uh, that's, a, that's a good thing and we, we, not everyone has that ambition and sometimes you don't even know you've got that ambition until you've done a role for a period of time and you go, oh, I think I could probably go the next level and, you know, even doing the regional role, I, you know, in the early days I would have thought, well, there's no way I could have, you know, I, I'm not Keith Reinhardt, you know. Yeah. Like, how could I do that role? Yeah. Uh, but over time you you build confidence and uh, you get frustrated and you see what's possible and, um, 
you know, uh, you know, I've been I've been given opportunities to do bigger roles a number of times over the last uh, ten years, and I've always said no, putting life in New Zealand uh, uh, ahead of that. But uh, uh, there was just a moment, and it was probably bizarrely, it was probably because of COVID. I sort of thought this is probably the hardest time to go and do a role like this. So let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Um, and it might sound bizarre, but I thought, what a great challenge. Um, uh, okay, uh, a listener called Emily O'Halloran uh, wants to know who your favourite child is, which I think that may be uh, a leading question again. But I think maybe uh, possibly a more important question of that is have um, any of your uh, three kids shown interest in following you into advertising? Well, um Emily, as I always say to her, she's my favourite eldest child. Yes. Um, uh, but um, now Emily, Emily actually is an extremely talented writer, uh, and uh, she's working uh, for a PR agency called Thrive, uh, and uh, doing a great job. Uh, and uh, importantly, wants to make her own way in the world and not work for. Uh, one of Dad's uh, agencies. Very um, foolish. Uh, and yeah, you know, she had some work experience at Mango, and and uh, uh, Claudia and the team loved her. But uh, to her credit, she went and got her own job. Um, yeah, well uh, done. And uh, yeah, so she's loving it, doing well. Uh, and my youngest daughter is uh, just finishing a graduate diploma. She's done a marketing degree at Massey, and she's now doing a graduate diploma in social um, media. Uh, so, uh, and to her credit, um, again, she said, there is no way I'm going to work at any of your agencies because um, mm. she she did some work experience and people you always introduce her as Marty's daughter. Yeah. That didn't go down very well with yeah. Maggie. So, um, uh, and to her credit, you know, she'll she'll find her own thing and, uh, and, and I like that independence and spirit. Yeah, it's good. Um, you've got, I think you've got to mention Matthew as well. And Matthew, uh, uh, he's gone a totally different way, direction. He's uh, he's done a, a finance degree, and now he's just finishing a, a master's in um, software engineering. So uh, he's um, currently working on a startup, and uh, he's also uh, going to start a job at Atlassian in uh, Sydney uh, early next year, which is like incredible tech company in Australia in terms of uh, it's an amazing story so that's a great opportunity for him um, well well done to all of them now uh, Deborah sent me an email and uh, a, a couple of things um, stood out for me which I thought were interesting one was that uh, you always um, did your utmost to be home to watch the six o'clock news with a family I think in my life in advertising, I've you know, maybe once a month I would ever have got home at time for six o'clock. So somehow you've managed to get, although you, you do get up, you get up pretty early for um, gym or uh, coaching or whatever, but you've managed to maintain a pretty healthy home life balance. Look, no, I think it's a really important thing for all of us to think about because the um the time with your kids goes really quickly and uh my dad actually worked in retail and worked huge hours and so i didn't see him a lot mm. and and that that's really driven me to 
make sure you're there for the school swimming sports or uh, you're there to pick your kids up occasionally. Um, and, and importantly, as much as you can, you know, try to be home to have dinner with the family. Uh, and, of course, there's times where we have to work till midnight for a pitch and all that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I actually get quite concerned when I see uh, agencies that, that I run that are consistently making people work really late. Yeah. For me, there's yeah. something we're doing wrong as, as managers. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes people like that. So you could accept some people like sort of starting late in the morning and yeah. they like working at night. But, um, you know, I, I think we've got to – we owe it to our people to give them a good balance. And I think everyone loves the excitement of a pitch and we, we don't mind working all weekend and working through till three in the morning. You know, that's that's part of the adrenaline that people that, – that drives people in agencies. But – I think if we're doing that consistently, it's uh, it's not a good thing. So, um, and I look at, I look at the scale of DDB Auckland, and uh, uh, you know, seven o'clock. There's hardly anyone there. And um, for Sharon, uh, my PA, said the other day, said, "Yeah, you know, I changed the security code, and uh, bugger all people have asked me for the security code, which you need to work on the weekends mm. to turn the alarms off." And I thought, how amazing is that? That we're not flogging these people sort of every weekend. Um, uh, so for me, that's 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 smart management. Okay, well that, that that suggests I was probably doing it wrong because when I was when I was at DDB, I think say at um, six thirty, every single member of the creative department would be there, but nobody else would be in the agency. Creatives work harder. That's just the way it is. Mm, mm. Um, uh, the other thing Deborah mentioned I found interesting uh, was that she said that you wake up every morning with the same energy and enthusiasm for the day. And my question to you is, is that a lucky accident or is that something that you have to work on? Uh, look, it's funny. Um, I think we mentioned earlier that I, I, I did a bit of rowing and if you're a rower, you 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 get very used to getting up at like five in the morning mm. and you don't let your teammates down because if you're in a rowing eight and one person doesn't turn up, you can't go out and train. Yeah. And and as a result of that, I, I'm, I've always been a morning person but, um, you know, uh, I think life's too short to be negative and uh, uh, every day is a new day and um, I do try to be positive and... Uh, I also, I think as leaders, sometimes you need to hold some of your frustrations internally as well, and because yep. uh, your job is to make people feel positive. I, I, I one of the greatest compliments I got once was uh, my PA in uh, Sydney said, "I just love it when you arrive because we just feel you in the agency." And you know, some people who are negative, you feel the negativity when they walk around an agency. Yeah, and, and and for me, that 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 understanding that. People, people look to us leaders as uh, to give them confidence and to be up and to be positive. And yeah. even though you might be really depressed about something, if you wear that on your sleeve, it's going to bring everyone down. Yeah. So uh, that, that's always been how I roll. Yeah, I think that's probably where I struggled. <laughs> um, okay, la- last question, um, Marty. Were, uh, biggest mistake um, in your career? Biggest mistake. Uh, I, I think the. I, oh no, it's not big enough. <laughs> Look, I haven't made huge mistakes. The um, I think the the 
I spoke about it earlier. I think the biggest mistake was not not discovering the love of creative early enough in my career. And, and I think uh, I've been thinking a lot about how we recruit people uh, and I don't think we're as thorough as we should be uh, when we're hiring people. You know, too much in advertising, it's like, I really like that person. And you meet them for like half an hour and um, you flick through a CV or whatever. And, and I think I was talking to a client who was going for an interview and they had to give a presentation, they had to write a case study, they had to mm. do all sorts of other tests and not that I want to do a whole lot of psychometric testing but, you know, are we finding enough people that have got a true love for what we do and, you know, I wish I discovered that earlier. So probably for the first 10 years of my career I wasn't that motivated by great creative. It was about getting great sales for McDonald's and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we, you know, we did really well, but I think just taking it to another level, sort of really seeing the true power of great creative, um, I, I think, sort of helped me go to another level. It's interesting what you uh, what you mentioned about um, re- recruitment. In that, I the uh, I, I hate it when people go tests have been done, but uh, I remember there's a, a large American um, business. It might have been McKinsey or somebody like that. They had a, a massively stringent um, employment and, and interview process that they went through, which after some time they then found was completely useless and their strike rate of getting people was no more successful through an extensive interview process than it was through a half-an-hour half chat going, yeah, they seem like a, they seem yeah. like a good person. Um, well, well, yeah. Look, both work. And look, if I'm honest, you know, I can tell in the first ten minutes of chatting to someone if they're going to fit or not. Yeah. Uh, but um, I suppose I'm, I'm I'm really drilling down to sort of the the new entrance into the into our industry, and you know, there's there's lots of nepotism and friends, daughters, and sons, mm. and there's you know, all of a sudden these people just get jobs, and you go. Do, do they deserve it? Do, hmm. You know, have they? Do they? Are they showing the passion? Um, and I think, I think the more we we hire people with that real passion at, at a young age, um, we're going to get a huge amount of benefit going forward. Actually, I, I thought of one one mistake I made, and this was um, this was before email. And uh, I, I, with the right intention, I sent a note to uh, a creative team and the creative director, basically saying. Um, uh, look, I thought your work was amazing. Uh, it was one of the best campaigns for this client that I've ever seen. And uh, quite frankly, the, the, the client's idiot for not buying the work. And unfortunately, my PA at the time sort of, you know, doing the photocopying and putting them in envelopes sent a copy of my internal memo to the client. And, and I never forget I never forget the day when I opened the envelope that, that he sent back to me and it was just in red pen, it was like, I think I'm a reasonable judge of a creative idea and that was it. And then I had to then work out what that next conversation was going to be like. And um, we laughed about it afterwards but at the time uh, it wasn't great. And uh, But, look, the, my heart was in the right place because I, I thought it was a great idea and I, um, I was backing my creatives and I was trying to say to them, look, I tried hmm. to sell it as well but... Just your heart sinks when you sort of open that envelope and go, you know, have we just been fired? <laughs> that that is an excellent mistake 
there, um, there, there's actually one thing that I, that, I've, that I feel I need to ask you. Um, when I uh, so the first uh, I, after I'd been at, at, at DDB for a year, we had a Christmas party in so this would have been two thousand and one, and it was the one where Scott Wallace and Jeff Ross turned up in a, a limo, and it was somewhere in East Auckland. Just for context, in case, in case you remember it, and you, uh, there were you know, various presentations and backslapping and prize giving, and you gave an award to the person of the year for the agency. Do you remember who that was? Was that Jenny Travers? No. Nope. No, she wasn't there then. Uh-huh. No, who was it? It was Doug Foday. Right. And I, so I was there as a – I'd come over and I've gone, brilliant, I'm at DDB. We're starting to do some some work that we're proud of. There's a there's a great bunch of people here and a party. Oh, I wonder who gets um, who gets um, a person of the year. And there's no – you know, I'm not, not saying that Doug didn't deserve it, but you don't do that. You don't give – the departing CEO person of the year. You give it to someone who's done brilliantly in finance or a head of production or whatever. And and I that that to me was like a bit of a punch in the stomach of this is not this is not the agency that I thought it was. But it it, it got turned around. It, it it got turned around and and the your attitude I think changed. Um, from then, which which was a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and well, um, obviously that was part of uh, the, the sort of recognition of what Doug had done for the agency. Um, we give lots of awards to everyone, yeah. as you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I agree with you. You know, um, uh, the, the reason I mentioned someone like Jenny because she's a great example of a young suit that in an, in her early days. Uh, you know, sat down with creatives and said, how am I going to help sell some great ideas and developed a reputation very quickly yeah. that she could deliver that. And the creatives were very eager to work on any of her briefs because she was really passionate about the work. And, um, you know, again, it comes back to that point I was making earlier that uh, we need more people like that, that are super passionate about the work, not just super passionate about hitting a deadline. Yeah. Um, uh, hi, JT. I bet you're... She'll be very happy with that shout out, and she gets that instead of a pay increase. <laughs> so that's how we keep her happy with us. I, I think she'd uh, she'd she'd still prefer that. And yeah, I, I'm all I I love. I mean, she's been at DDB for nearly as long as you. But yeah, a long time actually. Maybe yeah, a long fifteen time. years. Yeah, over fifteen I, years. I, I think. Thought. Yeah, I, I think it's great to see people people that come up come up through the ranks in an agency. We got one of the. Um, Associate credit directors, I think he is at, at, um, at um, what do we call now? Barnes Catman Friends Denso. He, he started as a Mac, um, Mac guy, Brad. Right, done, right. Done well. Uh, anyway, Marty, um, sorry to keep you. Thank you so much for chatting. I know that you have, um, you have you got a full night of New York coming up? Uh, no, I've got Europe uh, at seven o'clock, um, catching up with the president of Europe. Uh, DDB Europe, not the yeah. president of Europe. Yeah. Um, uh, there isn't a president of Europe. But, um, yeah, so just talking about some of the things we're working on for the, in the European part of our business, which is huge. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's tonight. Well, brilliant. Uh, um, 
thanks again. I'm sure you'll you'll do a great job, and um, we will um, you know watch from down in New Zealand and see how you get on. And thanks for all you taught me when we worked together, Paul. It was yeah. a beautiful time. <laughs> Marty, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Truth and Soul, the New Zealand Advertising Podcast. Okay, so thank you very much to the usual suspects for putting this together, Jonathan, Vanessa, Cole, Shane, and the rest of the crew from Franklin Road. Drop me a line at paul at truthandsoul.co.nz if you have helpful comments, unbounded praise, or fishing tips. Now, we have a few people who are keen to come on, and hopefully we can arrange that before too long. Organisation has never been my strong point, as many will attest, and we had a few issues with um, COVID-19, obviously. Uh, Now, young people tell me that apparently I need to encourage you to subscribe, so please find yourself encouraged. Also, a five-star review on iTunes helps, I believe. I know this may be perjury, but it's for a good cause-ish. Thank you for listening. Here's Matt Stalker to play out for you. Check out Matt Stalker and Fables on Spotify. They're great. Stay safe. Thank you. Give my trembling hands crudely silhouetted by the flickering spires of candlelight while the wicked sleep sound. The anxious toss and turn, thoughts come not as single spies, but in battalions while the wicked sleep sound. The anxious toss and turn.